At a time when investors are confronted with market volatility and a variety of challenges fueled by the uncertainty of inflation, unsettled geopolitical tensions, and economic pressures, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. This is Invest Talk, independent thinking, shared success. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. Today is Friday, February 23rd, 2024. I'm your host, Luke Guerrero, and we did it. We made it to another weekend and through the last full week of the month of February. Now, our nine to fives may be done for the week, but that doesn't mean that we don't have more work ahead of us. Over the next hour, I look forward to hearing directly from you and answering your finance and investment questions because after all, the show's not about me, it's about you. So before we preview our show topics today, one of which I mentioned yesterday, but it's a holdover, and talk about the market today and this week, let's kick it off by answering our first caller question that came in earlier to our voice bank. Hi, Steve and Justin. I was wondering what you think of VF Corporation, um, ticker symbol VFC. It's been beaten down pretty bad along with all the retailers, and I'm thinking this is a good time to pick it up, so I want to know what your guys' opinion is. Thank you. VF Corporation, ticker VFC, is a clothing, accessory, footwear, apparel seller. You may know them as owning North Face, Vans for All Mankind, a couple other, couple other brands. And they are not in a good spot. Taking a look at their fundamentals, they have $8 billion worth of debt on a six billion dollar market cap company. They're seven, almost 8% short interest. Their cash flow, that's one positive note, improved last year after falling for four consecutive years. But their profitability didn't fare much better than it has been. Made 31 cents last year. They're projected to make $1.09 next year, slightly more than they made in 2021, their sales on average over the last five years has fallen 90 basis points. Their net income has fallen 35 basis points. They recently cut their dividend. And so looking at this company and looking at where the market is pricing it, its performance, it certainly doesn't technically look good. It's still trading at a price to earnings of 12, which for a company that has this much debt in this kind of environment and has had consistent earnings downgrades because of it. Seems a little too expensive for me. So genuinely, is it cheap? Yeah, it's cheap. Is it cheap enough for the risk? I don't know. I would have to see some sort of turn in profitability to get back to even pre-pre-pandemic levels. Before the pandemic, they were still dropping off in earnings per share. 
So for me, right now, VF Corporation, got to pass. Thanks for the call. And we got a lot of ground to cover in the next 45 minutes or so. And here's some of what I have planned for you. My focus point today concerns this question. Is your index fund tracking the right index? Understanding the six qualities as outlined by Morningstar of the best indices can help investors choose among thousands of index funds. We'll talk about investment opportunities, index fund investing strategy, and overall investment strategies. Then we're going to talk a little bit about the oil market. And how has the oil market reacted to geopolitical tensions? And how does that differ to how it reacted over the past 40 years? And that holdover I talked about yesterday is about Warren Buffett. If you recall, I mentioned he has a lot of cash. And what he will do with it may help us decide what we'll do with ours. And lastly, should we have enough time, we're going to talk about Elliott Management, which traditionally is an activist fund. But they plan on spending more than a billion dollars on mining assets. Also, of course, we have some caller questions in our voice bank ready to play, including one on Enbridge Inc., ticker ENB, and Rio Tinto. And since it's Friday, I'll share brief excerpts from the newest KPP newsletter. And of course, as always, I welcome your finance and investment questions now on 888-99-CHART. Now let's talk about the market performance today. U.S. equities were mostly higher. Overall, it seemed like a pretty uneventful day, especially after the exciting day yesterday in the wake of NVIDIA's latest earnings. The Dow and S&P and NASDAQ on a weekly basis rose over 1%. It was a good day for, looks like consumer staples did well, pharma did well, home builders did well. Big tech, kind of lower, except for NVIDIA. Other underperformers were energy, REITs, airlines, regional banks, who have certainly been under pressure as of late. And given the Fed speak, if you will, over the past week, treasuries flattened a little bit which is good, trimming the, trimming the week's yield back up, crude down nearly 3%. And one thing I mentioned, which I think is important to note, is that the market started to, in a way, reprice their pivot expectations, which is something that we have been talking about for some time. It is unlikely that uh, the Fed would cut in March and unlikely that they would cut to the tune of 150 basis points this year. So it seems like the market is coming to terms with that. Overall, it kind of seems like equities have been ignoring it with the exception of the Russell 2 small caps. Small caps have certainly not been as elevated as their large cap peers. And further, the Fed took a slightly more hawkish stance this week, saying they need to see a couple more months of inflation data to determine whether January was an anomaly or a trend. So in terms of the good that came out of this week, NVIDIA beat earnings. Fed is still, even with a slightly more hawkish stance, supportive of a pivot. Walmart had good Q1 earnings and top-line growth guidance, highlighting their confidence in the strength of the consumer that has held up the economy for a while now. From the analyst side, Goldman Sachs and UBS 
raise their 2024 S&P 500 price targets. That's all good. But we also have to acknowledge some of the things that are hindering the market. The Fed is concerned about prematurely easing. Concentration seems to still be within those AI growth names. Small caps, pretty meaningly underperformed. You'll recall, I briefly mentioned, there was a 20-year bond auction. That was disappointing. And mortgage rates, back up above 7% for the first time since December. So overall, it was a mixed week. Not a lot of economic news, but next week we'll see consumer confidence on Tuesday. We'll see wholesale inventories on Wednesday. And a lot more news that could set the tone and, and shift the narrative potentially especially related to inflation. Now we're going to a quick break. Please remember you can call anytime and leave your questions on the Invest Talk voice bank. If you're listening via our live stream or on AM 1220 radio in the Silicon Valley, call now at 888-99-CHART. Invest Talk callers make each podcast unique. I was calling about Intel, if it's worth holding on to, or should I sell it? Their questions are curious. Hello, I have saved up around $80,000, and I was wondering what I should do to make it grow. Careful. Oh, I'm just wondering, is this a value trap? Because it looks like it's gone down quite a bit. Concerned. Uh, it's taken quite the tumble today. I've been trying to get out of this position for a while. I think I waited too long. And clever. Does seem to be situated in some areas of expanding population. And Justin Klein, Steve Peasley, and now Luke Guerrero are always ready with their unbiased answers. And this is, it looks like a classic example of chasing yield. Don't chase the yield. Next 12 months price to earnings is around 30. I just don't see it at this price. Don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Everybody wants a secure financial future, but getting there takes strategy, discipline, and the right information. That means you'll have finance and investment questions. So don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Let's go to Sam in San Francisco, who has a question about SSNT. Do you own it, Sam, or are you looking to buy it? Uh, I currently have it, and I wanted to know more information about it because I, based on uh, Brad Jacobs, or is Brad Jacob history of him coming to the company? Um, I see like the market is enjoying that. It is, is it a buy and hold for a long term? Yeah, so SSNT, for those who don't know, it's a business application technology consulting company. And they're pretty strong relative to the market over the past month. But a lot of that is due to the fact that it is an $83 million market cap company. And not only is it an $83 million market cap company, its volume is pretty low, 90,000 shares a day on the 30-day average. It has about 9.5% short interest, and it's never made money. And so looking at forward-looking projections, it's such a small company with my data, I don't really have analysis projections. Sometimes with these micro-cap companies, they aren't covered. So it's kind of difficult to say what the profitability is going to look like going forward based on analyst assumptions. Not only that, it's trading at a price to book of 11 
That's incredibly high. And so when I look at this, I see things that I don't like. Illiquid, difficult to get out of for a price that you see on the ticker tape when you need to. I see short interest incredibly high. The market is telling you this thing is overvalued, specifically with a huge run-up from below $5 all the way up to about 22 and now down to 16 So if you're up, frankly, I think now's a good time to get out of it because the risk-reward characteristics here just aren't here, especially at an 11 times price to book value. Thanks for the call. Now on Fridays, as you know, we generally make time to fit in a quick rundown of key benchmark numbers. So let me hit that list for you now. The two-year treasure yield was at 4.685%. For perspective, last week it was 466. Four weeks back, 435. Six weeks ago, it was 416. And 100 weeks ago, it was 196. What a difference two years makes. The 10-year yield was at 4.258%. Last week, it was at 4.29. Four weeks ago, it was 4.14. 15 weeks ago, it was 463. And 110 weeks ago, it was at 1.76. Gold was priced at 2,036 per ounce last week, 2014. 15 weeks back, it was at 1935. And 104 weeks ago, it was at 1806. Silver today was at 22.95 per ounce. Four weeks ago, 22.80. 69 weeks ago, it was at 19.15. 81 weeks ago, it was at 18.64. And 99 weeks ago, it was at 23.94. Oil was selling for 76.59 per barrel. Last week, that was 78.71. Compared to 12 weeks ago, it was at 74.30. 80 weeks ago at 89.63, and 111 weeks ago at 66.62. The national average for a gallon of regular gasoline is 326, down slightly from 328 last week. Four weeks back, it was 310. 38 weeks back, it was 356, and 106 weeks ago, it was 357. In California, it was averaging 463 per gallon today. Two weeks ago, it was 459. Last month, 448. Over a year ago, 67 weeks ago, it was 534. And 93 weeks ago, it was 587. For comparison, in New Mexico today, gas was averaging 299. And we're moving to a break. We have lots of information and more importantly, lots of questions to come. But that only happens if you call in. And I welcome your calls now to Invest Talk. You know the number, 888-99-CHART. Let's take a quick look at your financial to-do list. At the top, make that phone call to the InvestTalk Anytime listener line, 888-99-CHART. Let's go to Sam and Cupertino. How can we help you today, Sam? Hey, uh, thanks for taking my call. Uh, I have a simple question. Uh, Which of the M7 stocks should I be looking to buy right now? So for those who don't know the Magnificent 7, NVIDIA, Meta, which was Facebook, Amazon, Microsoft, Google, Tesla, Apple, they all have, in my opinion, some issues. I think over the short term, 
Short to medium term, NVIDIA has a pretty good position, but the reason why they've been doing so well is because one, there's a shortage of their chips and they're becoming ubiquitous. It's also not necessarily an industry that is, it's difficult to get into, but it's not, it's not like airplanes, you know? Um, so it's, it's hard to start an airline. It's hard to start a company like Boeing and manufactured jets. Tesla has a lot of issues. EV demand is going to fall. It's very difficult to get the materials to build those. Apple has some issues with um, supply chains coming out of China. Google has some regulatory issues. They all actually have a lot of regulatory issues going on. Amazon is being sued all over the place. Honestly, it's it's difficult to say which one is best positioned because they certainly are dominant. I'm not going to discount the Magnificent Seven as being incredibly successful companies. But if I had to pick one, honestly, I think the ubiquity of Apple and Microsoft, Apple in their hardware, Microsoft in their cloud computing and ability, puts them in a unique position to have the lowest downside risk and still be dominant within their field. It's I don't see anybody displacing Microsoft ever. I don't see anybody displacing Apple ever. As we progress through the quote-unquote generative AI revolution... I've said over and over again, in order for that to happen in a meaningful way, it has to become cheaper. So there will probably be companies that come along and chip away slowly at NVIDIA's market share. And that's because artificial intelligence, the whole idea behind it becomes more reasonable if it's done on a network versus how it's done today in servers. So frankly, is now the right time to buy into Apple and, and Microsoft? They have some things they have to show, but I think they're positioned in a way that all those other companies are not positioned to continue to dominate as they have over the past 25 years. Thanks for the call. Let's move to my focus point today, which concerns the question, is your index fund tracking the right index? So we're going to talk about investment opportunities, index fund investing strategies, and general investing strategies. But in order to do that, you have to understand how to critically look at index funds. And so when looking at an index fund, you need to look beyond the surface and, as we always say, understand what you own. So Morningstar put together a list of six things, which is certainly not unique to Morningstar. It's something that most the old company that I worked at would preach these things as well as their products being all of these things, but something that investors certainly need to consider. The first is, is your index fund representative of the asset class you're trying to invest in? And so an example of this is if you put a lot of constraints on a U.S. small cap fund because it can be expensive to trade those stocks. And so you end up with a U.S. small cap index fund that is tracking a small cap index with a high floor. What you end up with is a heavily top-weighted small cap index fund. It's not representative of the asset class that you're trying to target. You also need to consider, is it well diversified? Because that's going to help protect against the downside idiosyncratic risks of individual companies, which would erode returns over time. A crucial one, which a lot of people don't think about, is, is it investable? If you're trying to invest in the Russell Microcap 
index, an index fund that tracks that, the liquidity might be so bad on some of those names, the spreads you are paying are so wild that it becomes too costly. What is it like for how they construct it? Is it transparent? I always say I prefer the Russell 3000 as a benchmark for the U.S. market because it's transparent. They have the 3,000 largest names in the U.S. It covers large, mid-caps, small caps. The S&P 600, which is a small cap index, the S&P 500, it's all selected by committee. People are making those decisions. I like math. The Russell's mathematical. Is it sensible? Does it have a strong economic basis in their construction criteria? Is it price-weighted or market cap-weighted? Looking at the Dow. How's the turnover? That erodes away at returns. The more and more of fund turnovers, you incur charges for trading, you incur taxes. And so it's important to consider these six things when picking an index fund, because at its core, you need to know, does the index even do what I intend for it to do? And even if it does, can I mimic it at all? Now, the next Invest Talk, we'll look into the topic set up by this statement. Passive funds have overtaken active funds. In the U.S., passive investing has become more popular than active investing. What's next for the long-running trend? That's Monday, but for now, on Friday, I'm Luke Guerrero, and I'm ready to take your calls on 888-99-CHART. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It is official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models 
and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's Attack Resistance Platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. No two portfolios are alike, and every investor has a unique set of circumstances. So don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. I'd love to hear any thoughts and insight you have on the company Rio Tinto Group. That's ticker symbol R-I-O. They're a mining company. They produce aluminum, copper, uh, diamond, gold, iron ore, lithium, and more. So any insight you have on the company would be greatly appreciated. Specifically, if you could talk a little bit about the dividend. You guys do a great job talking about the history of the dividend, if it's been consistent, and then based on the financials, if it's likely to continue in the future. Uh, appreciate your thoughts on that. And of course, thank you very much for the show, producing a show five days a week. I imagine that's a lot of work. So thank you very much for that. As a longtime listener, you give me the confidence to keep investing. And uh, thank you very much. I'll listen uh, for the next show. Thank you. Thank you for the kind words. We certainly do it because, and I'm, you know, I'm new to this, but I know that Justin and, and Steve would echo this, that we do it because we love it and we have an incredible team behind us that helps us produce and edit it as well. But Rio Tinto, as the caller mentioned, is a miner. It's a big miner. And recently, although profits have dropped in double digits, mostly because of global demand, the board approved the world's biggest mining project in West Africa for iron ore. And so you wanted to focus on dividends. Well, the dividend's very stable. Ratings agency that rates it gives it a 0.88 out of one in terms of reliability. Over the past five years, it's been incredibly consistent. And even with global demand cooling and sales dropping, it still looks to be consistent. So I wouldn't really worry about the dividend in the near term from this company. From an investment standpoint, is now the right time to invest? Maybe. It might be the right time. It had a run-up that kind of ended in December, and it's slowly been trickling down as the global demand picture falls. There's also something very important to know about this company, and that's it has had in the recent past some bribery scandals and PR nightmares associated with locals that are near their mind mines in Australia and other places, but it has a very diversified asset base. So it's a giant miner. When demand comes back, it's going to do well. And this new mine will help them as well. It's going to take a while to come online, but that will help them as well. In the meantime, the dividend is likely to stay as it is. But you just got to keep in mind with this company specifically, there have been some issues on the legal front, some of which they've settled, some of which they haven't yet. So if that concerns you, which it might, that's certainly a risk. You might want to look for another miner. But going forward, as demand increases, like I said, these types of companies should start to do very well again. 
Thanks for the call. Now, the next Invest Talk, we will look at this topic. Passive funds have overtaken active funds. But right now, we have the KPP Premium Newsletter, which was finished today, and it will be distributed to subscribers tomorrow morning. Now, I have a small preview for you right now, as we always do. In the market conditions section, we explained that stocks mostly rose today following yesterday's strong rally. Investors were still paying attention to chipmaker NVIDIA and watching to see how far the rally driven by excitement over artificial intelligence technology can go. In intraday trading, NVIDIA reached $2 trillion market cap for the first time, but finished below that milestone. The surge in technology stocks led the S&P 500 to its best day since January 2023 and the NASDAQ to its best session since February of last year, with overall weekly gains of 1.8% for the S&P 500 and approximately 1.6% for the NASDAQ. However, the sustainability of this momentum is under new scrutiny, especially with technology stocks playing a pivotal role and breadth not reaching much further. In the real estate sector, the U.S. housing market showed signs of revival in January with sales of previously owned homes climbing 3.1% to a seasonally adjusted annual rate of $4 million, the highest since August, after a year of declining sales. This uptick, spurred by a roughly one percentage point drop in mortgage rates since last fall, occurred despite persistently high home prices. Despite a nearly 15% drop in housing starts, the resilience within the housing sector is still evident, with an increase in builder confidence and ongoing construction activities. Now, there's a lot more commentary detail in the newsletter. And also, we have some stock ideas. In the stock ideas section, we highlighted a leading manufacturer and distributor of water infrastructure and flow control products, serving various sectors such as utilities, municipalities, and construction. Its performance is influenced by macroeconomic factors like interest rates and government spending on infrastructure projects. The stock presents opportunities for investors seeking exposure to the essential infrastructure sector, but through analysis of financials, industry trends, and external factors is crucial for informed investment decisions. And we also looked at a company that operates an online platform connecting freelancers with businesses seeking various services, ranging from graphic design to software development. This company, from the growing trend of remote work and the gig economy, this trend suggests potential for sustained demand for its platform. While the company's stock holds promise amid changing work dynamics, investors should carefully assess the competitive position and execution capabilities. As always, we name names in the newsletter, and I've given you a simple teaser of the latest KPP Premium newsletter information. Subscribers will receive the full edition via email each Saturday, and they always also get the portfolio and consumer watch sections. Learn more and subscribe anytime at investtalk.com. Now let's pivot over to something that has certainly been important over the past couple years. And that is not just the situation in Ukraine, but also how oil markets have reacted to that situation. So despite the ongoing tensions, and in some ways escalating tensions. 
not just Russia's invasion of Ukraine, but also the recent attacks by Hamas on Israel and the Houthis in the Strait. The price of oil is currently 12% lower than before the invasion of Ukraine. However, markets have been pretty resilient to these geopolitical disruptions. And in the recent past, these threats have had less of an effect than a lot of people suspected. Now, historically, if you go back to 73 with the embargo and 79 with the Iranian revolution, there were significant spikes in oil prices. And the global oil market's resistance, if you will, to these shocks is really due to two things. One, diversified production sources globally. And two, because overall we're reducing dependency on companies or rather countries in OPEC. OPEC's share of oil production has decreased from nearly half of what it was in 1971. Or rather it's decreased from half of the global production in 1971 to a third of it in 2020 and even less now. As of the end of 2023, there was approximately 5 million barrels a day of spare capacity, which is about 5% of global production, which provides kind of a cushion against these types of disruptions, something that the market sees. Not only that, another reason is technological enhancements. Data, real-time tracking of oil cargoes. It's enabled energy traders, both speculators and hedgers, to effectively discover and react to supply disruptions. So in order for something to really have an impact, it would likely have to be significant disruption. Think the Strait of Hormuz completely shutting down. And so despite these risks, it is true the market could be underestimating the impacts of these geopolitical tensions because these conflicts, which are for now proxy conflicts, can expand. It could be the case that the reliance on algorithms and energy trading desks to trade futures, working on models, aren't adept enough or nimble enough to react to changes, even subtle ones, in these threats. And so what we've seen over the past couple decades, interestingly, is betting against oil price spikes as things increase has been pretty profitable. But still, with this, it's important to note, as always, just because in the recent past something has been the case doesn't mean in the future it will be. Oil, not seeing price spikes today, is because the market is discounting the possibility of these becoming sweeping, long-lasting geopolitical threats. Which should help us reframe our mind that anytime something happens, even something horrible, like what has been happening over the past couple years, we have to think for the long term of its reach and the real effects it can have because global events shape macro trends and macro trends help shape our portfolios. Now it's Friday and the weekend is almost here. 
But now let's play another Talk caller question. This one coming in earlier from Fremont, California on our 24-7 voice bank, 888-99-CHART. Hi, this is Roger from Fremont. I have a question regarding Enbridge, stock symbol ENB. I have a long-term position and got in at about $36. I was wondering if I should continue to hold it or sell. It, it, it has a pretty good dividend, but I'm not sure. But with all the other energy uh, stocks doing well, this one seems to be not performing as well. So just wanted to make a bit of that. Thank you. Yeah, so Enbridge is a pipe company. They transport energy, oil, petroleum, natural gas, and they operate the world's longest pipeline, actually. And recently, last year, I believe, there was a deal that created the largest natural gas utility franchise in North America, where Enbridge acquired three utilities from Dominion. And because of that, there's certainly some debt concerns. There's about almost $65 billion in debt on a $100 billion market cap company, which can be a little concerning, especially at a time when energy commodity prices are down and that's going to affect their bottom line. However, regardless, Enbridge increased the dividend by 3.1% for 2024 which is the 29th consecutive annual distribution hike from the board. And so generally companies like this are going to catch a tailwind when interest rates start to to decline, when they start refinancing some of that debt. And as always, think of that economic moat we talked about this week. Building pipelines is very hard and incredibly expensive, especially in today's regulatory environment. And so when you think about this company who they're affected by supply and demand characteristics, which is affected by the prices of those commodities, those energy commodities, in the long term, that and interest rates doesn't have much of an effect because they can reprice contracts. So given its dominance within North America, given its consistent dividend, very low short interest, even with these debt levels, even with outsized leverage, interest rate coverage ratio of two times. It's not crazy leverage in terms of operating, but it's still a bit of leverage. Even with a 7.8% dividend yield, which can be alarming sometimes because the market's telling you that maybe they're going to drop it. It's in a consistent company. And even with demand where it is, its cash flows are up. Its profitability is coming back. It's been all over the place the past five years. Would I add more to it now? Depends on your position. I'd probably watch it if I was looking to add more to it. But when demand comes back, I think Enbridge is positioned to do pretty well. Thanks for the call. Now, the first quarter feels like it is moving so fast. We're already closing in on the end of February. That's next week. And as we've been telling you for a while, we are in a new market environment. So serious investors need to be able to adjust their thinking and strategies to fit the times. Let me remind you that here on Invest Talk and at KPP Financial, we operate with the philosophy of independent thinking, shared success. We offer unbiased guidance. Parallel investing is something that we practice. That means we invest alongside our clients. And we manage investment strategies that we implement for ourselves. 
I encourage you to take advantage of our offer to provide a free portfolio review assessment via telephone, Skype, or GoTo meetings. Send us a message through investtalk.com. Now let's see if we can squeeze in another caller question now. Oh, looks like we're actually going to go to a break and we'll get to that caller question as soon as we come back. This is Invest Talk. I'm Luke Guerrero, and we have one goal here, to help you achieve your financial freedom. And our work continues after this break. Get your questions in now, 888-99-CHART. Invest Talk is here to help. And when you download the free Invest Talk podcasts, don't forget to rate and review. The phone lines are open, 888-99-CHART. This is Leo Los Gatos, California. Question about Pacific Gas and Electric, ticker PCG. Just curious, when they say PG&E is going to make $2 billion profit, and then I see their stock pretty much just stays around 16 and don't go anywhere, pretty much going sideways. So if you can give me a little feedback on that, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. The question is about PCG, which is Pacific Gas and Electric, which is a utility company. People in California know PG&E well, and not for a good reason. That is because they had to declare bankruptcy in, I believe, 2019 after their poor maintenance of their equipment resulted in a fire that burned down the town of Paradise in California, and they were on the hook for some $30 billion. And so they eventually came out of bankruptcy. But let's take a step back, ignoring all of the bad history, if you will, and think about why people invest in utilities. Utilities are defensive income. And so utilities are not things you usually invest in for growth. And most people who go to utilities, like I said, want income, but the dividend yield here is 0.2%. And so with utilities that are highly regulated, the profit model isn't the same. You can't evaluate them from a relative valuation perspective in the way that you can most equities. So even though they're making a profit for the first time in a while, the reason why it isn't having an outsized market impact is just the nature of the company and the sector that it's in. So if you're looking for income-focused equity investments, specifically in the utility space, I'd look somewhere else. Thanks for the call. Now let's pivot back to our final discussion of the week, something I previewed yesterday, and that is about the Oracle of Omaha. Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway has seen its cash reserves climb to almost $160 billion as of last September. That's five consecutive quarters of growth. And frankly... Berkshire Hathaway investors and really all investors are very interested to see what Mr. Buffett is going to do to deploy this capital, especially in the wake of somebody who was a personal hero of mine, 
the late, great Charlie Munger. Recently, the company has notably reduced its position in Apple and strengthened its allocation to energy, something we agree with, certainly. We've been talking about energy for a while. They even, if you recall, made news by asking the SEC for special confidential treatment when filing for holdings because they didn't want to disclose it yet. I actually believe they're going to have to, they're going to disclose it this weekend. It'll probably be boilerplate, but it's always exciting. And so Buffett's preference has always been to invest in quality businesses and frankly, mostly private sector businesses because he was never a big fan of investment banks and public company acquisitions can be pretty complicated. And so higher interest rates over the past year made Berkshire's cash holdings incredibly profitable. They earned significant yield in short-term treasuries, which has seen those yields increase sharply with the fight against inflation. So despite, or rather in spite, of being a net seller of stocks in the first nine months of 2023, Berkshire still actively repurchased his own shares with that cash, something that was very, very good with investors. And so Buffett's been successful because he sees value where many ignore it. He's written about the importance of financial strength, something we should remember. In 2022, he wrote that he and Munger had pledged that Berkshire Hathaway and its subsidiaries would always hold more than $30 billion in cash to ready themselves in case there was turmoil. So as yields start to drop, we should pay particular attention to where the Oracle of Omaha puts his cash. Because like I said, the man has always seen value where many ignore it. Now I'm Luke Guerrero, working today for Justin Klein. He'll be back on Monday, and this completes another Invest Talk program. We thank you for listening, and we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads. Get yours anytime at iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Please be sure to review and rate us on iTunes. Remember to follow us on social media and learn more at investtalk.com. Independent thinking, shared success. This is InvestTalk. Enjoy your weekend. InvestTalk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial. Thank you for listening, and your comments and questions are welcome on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.